Hey everyone, my name is Bobby Angus. I'm going to be one of your hosts for 10 at Final Fantasy 7 Podcast. My co-hosts are Ken Tormey and Will Sliney. The purpose of this podcast was to bring together three people who all had different experiences with Final Fantasy 7, the original, and different levels of love for the original game. We wanted to play the remake version together and be able to see how each of us respond to it, all coming from different backgrounds with the game. The reason we chose the name Tent was because on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis, we're going to be trying to rotate in different friends of ours who also have the same love for the game as we do. Some of our guests that we have lined up are Sean Crystal, Michael Walsh, and Ricardo Ortiz. We are excited to announce more in the future, and we hope you stick with us for the duration of the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Tent, a Final Fantasy VII podcast. I'm back with Kian Tormi, my right-hand man. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to be back. I knew you would appreciate that. So <laughs> we are back. Uh, no will this episode. Again, too busy with his TV deal. But he did let me know that he's been playing a lot of Final Fantasy VII. He's got a lot of thoughts. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing those. Me too. If he says that he doesn't like it, we're immediately ending the show. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> idea. So, um, yeah. last time we were here, we talked about uh, the 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 reactor run for Reactor Seven, yeah, with the boss fight, and now we're really moving. We're past the demo stages here, so yeah, we're into the game. So for all tense or what is it, sakes and purposes, tense and purposes? I don't remember. What's the what's the fancy saying? For all intents and purposes. Thank you. So for what Kian just said. Uh, there might be spoilers in this podcast for the previous game as well as the new game. So if you do not want any spoilers, this is your final warning. Yeah. So with that said, we beat the giant spider thing and we're in Midgard. My opening thoughts of everything is holy shit. These graphics are really, really good. It's yeah, it's crazy, man. It's so, so good. Like, I know we spoke before, one of the reasons why this game was going to be so exciting was the fact that finally we aren't looking at this kind of isometric view of this flat world. And look, you know, since playing this, I've gone back and looked at uh, the original game. And what's interesting is actually, and I like your opinion on it, is the the graphics are absolutely stunning right they've taken the world that you recognize and they've completely recreated it in 3d and you got a taste of it during the reactor run but now that you're out into the city on this this top plate it is the first Mm -hmm. time you're really starting to see the game uh potentially as an explorable world so it's still a little bit on rails. Like it needs you to go in one particular way. There's no wandering around and getting lost or anything. Right. It, like you know where you have to go, but you are walking through a fully rendered city. And uh, I went and looked at a couple of screenshots of the original game. The one thing that is different is it's slightly less atmospheric, right? Mm-hmm. And it's atmospheric in the sense of. In the original game, those those top-down maps that you ran around in, they were quite kind of um, murky. So everything yeah. f- everything felt kind of grimy and the lights were low and they kind of glowed. Like everything was under mist. There was a real sense of, of that. In this, this is a fully perfectly rendered city. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, because you've just blown up the reactor, everything's on fire. So everything looks cool. It's lit by the fire. This is the first time where... You don't have kind of static characters standing around for you, waiting for you to go up and interact with them. This is the first time that these people are actual, real, independent units. Like they're walking around and they're they're upset. Um, that was that was one of the first things that struck me. So, what's different is, as I just said, like you don't go up and talk to these people. How did that strike you? You know, when you come out the I... first time. They're just standing around and they're just talking. How did that strike yeah. you? I was not a fan, to be completely transparent. And why, is, why is that? Uh, because I felt like now I had to talk to everyone. Like um, in other games, I know like if they're like you can walk, you can run by people and they might make like a comment like, oh, my God, like or whatever it may be. Yeah. But I felt like with this now, I have to purposely go and interact with everyone. Um, 
And I did, and it wasn't until like later on when I started seeing people that had like the like ability to talk to them over their head where I was okay with it. Like that was like, now that's when I got the feeling, oh, okay. Like I actually, cause like at first I was literally walking and standing next to everyone to try and find like a hint of anything. Uh, whether it's like, hey, there might be a chest over here, or hey, there's material over here. But um, yeah, I think uh, until I actually started seeing like the ability to talk to people like pop up as an action, I was pretty hesitant and not very thrilled with the, the whole thing. Well, that's interesting because so in the original game, the original game's an RPG, right? And it's like specifically you, uh, there's the fight and all that there's the like the 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 gameplay of the fight dynamics and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but the point is to walk around and go into these villages and to buy and sell things and to talk to characters to pick up uh tidbits of the story you know little hints of where to go and you know there's an awful lot of people in a lot of different areas uh and you really see it when you get out of the city at the end of disc one um you go into your first village, which is beside the city, and there are people in some of the inns and shops that just say things that are completely unrelated to anything. They're they're just mm-hmm. they seem kind of like mad ravings. And you talk to all of these people, you don't really know what they're referring to, and then it could be, I don't know, like twenty hours of gameplay later, you'll meet somebody somewhere in some other town, and they'll reference what that person said, and you start to realize that there's there's clues and hints and storylines that are woven across the whole world right so mm-hmm. f- so for me one of the things that i loved about the original game was talking to every single character i found and and hearing what they had to say and then discovering that it was part of some slightly larger bit of a side quest or something like that when mm-hmm. i walked out of the the game or out of the reactor and i walked out into the city and the city was on fire i saw all the people and i was like okay, I don't know how they're going to handle this because so much of the story and so much of what pulled you into the world of the original game was going and talking to all of these side characters. And you make a really good point because this game already doesn't look like an RPG anymore. It looks like a regular platformer. And mm-hmm. any game that looks like the, the this new remake is more like a Grand Theft Auto kind of thing where you're just piloting your character backwards and forwards. And of course, the non-playable characters in the background, they don't say anything. Like They just spark into action or movement when your character runs past because they're programmed to do that. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing was coming out onto the street and then going and looking at, uh, looking at all the people and then running up to them. And what I didn't like was they all start talking... W- anyway right so now these are proper full-on background characters and yes there are one or two characters where you can go and it gives you a prompt to talk to them but i don't know yet whether the background characters are saying anything important right yeah i mean but the thing is i guess this my this uh, plays into the mindset that you mentioned before is i know like i have a feeling this game is gonna be very linear going forward and I have a feeling that based on previous Final Fantasy games, side quests are going to be much more um, obvious, I guess. And they kind of do once we actually get into the slums, which we'll talk about later. But like, I, I, I just like running past these people who are just like, oh my gosh, my house is on fire. I'm like, yeah, guys, like, sorry, just blew up a reactor. Want to get to the next mission? Like, bye. So I, I guess it's just like, I guess... It, Maybe it's because I have this particular mindset going to the game that's going to be very linear, and I anticipate it being very linear. I'm not as interested in all of the other stuff that might be there, or putting in more time for something that might not be worth it. I guess that's what I'm hinting at. Well, so that's really interesting, because then what starts to become apparent is this game isn't really like the original, right? And it's more than just the fact that they've changed the battle system, uh, and it's more than the uh, the fact that the graphics have changed and maybe there's a tweak to the story. The fundamental role-playing aspect of it is gone. So uh, I've noticed on the... I don't game as much as you do, as you know. So one of the things that I've noticed recently when you play something like God of War or mm-hmm. even even the Spider-Man game. Spider-Man game actually just... It, oh, I really didn't like it. It really, it really frustrated me because it was so formulaic 
and it was on rails the whole thing like Mm -hmm. what i've come to notice in a lot of these games now is and i'm not sure why but the game you're very conscious of the sides of the game like it is very much guiding you in one direction and one direction only and one Mm -hmm. of the things that was cool about the original final fantasy 7 was man you could spend hours just like traveling around and you could be in entirely the wrong area like you're not pushing the storyline on at all. And there could be times where you have to go and speak to a character in a village on the other side of the world map and you can't find them. And you would just fire the game up and just wander around and then you'd find them by accident. And everything felt like there was a serious sense of reward because you'd Mm -hmm. kick the game forward. And in in this, um, what I've noticed is, and you see it first off when you step out onto those flaming streets, it's gorgeous, right? It's absolutely gorgeous. But because uh, there's so much voice acting in these games, so this is my theory, right? So I can't base this on anything, but let me run this past you and see what you think. Everybody, all the characters talk. So there's so much time goes into recording everybody uh, having something to say mm-hmm. that they can't give every single character something specific right like yeah. story led stuff so they're just kind of moaning in the background and there's certain characters you have to speak to but because there's only certain ones that you have to speak to they tell you who those people are so the idea of wandering around and talking to everyone and then finding out clues and figuring out what happens next that's gone yeah. you you go well, up to a character it the game tells you who to speak to you speak to them and they say oh, you better take the stairs. And so you turn around and you have to take the stairs and suddenly the game is now playing for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you uh, said this before um, or in an earlier episode, I think it was episode one, maybe two, but or one or three, excuse me. But I think just uh, the general gra- or landscape of gaming is changing. I think it's a lot harder. Like, just in general, these RPG-type games are disappearing. Yeah. Um, or they're coming to switch or they have to be like uh insane classic like zelda uh where it's just like you got a zelda game once every five years and you know exactly what you're get- getting yeah uh i think square inks is trying to push away from that traditional rpg i mean like you said this is just me totally going to hunch sure but i think they realized after final fantasy 12 which is a pretty long and open world one that people seem to gravitate towards games so they can get in play and get out well, so invest hours and hours in. So here's a so question, like, right? Here's a question yeah. about that. Are are games going like that because that's what people want, or are people playing the games they're being given? So, like for me, what's interesting is, again, like I don't play very often, but I do like platformers, or what used to be platformers. So if if you consider. Um, god of war or spider-man or whatever it's a you're you're just controlling a character those Mm -hmm. games have become so uh so linear and you have to go to a certain place and what i was going to say before was my my uncooked theory is the games are so huge now that they can't just leave you the option of just wandering around like they need you to go a certain way because there's so much programming and voice acting and like even processing power in it that they kind of need you to go one way because they can't have a game that just just goes everywhere so i'll give you an example of that sure or example that and then we'll pivot back because i think we're we're starting a whole new podcast with this but uh so the game fallout yeah um massive open world rpg type game to the point where it was so big that I didn't know what I was doing three hours into the game. Yeah. Like I spent three hours. I ended up going to the wrong place. I kept dying in the ran- the middle of nowhere. I'm like, this is absolutely stupid. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I know Fallout's a very well-received game, but I think pe- like that kind of game, I think one, people don't have the attention span for. Two, people aren't going to shell out 60 bucks for it anymore. They'd rather just pay nothing and play Apex or Call of Duty. And I think the way of RPG games is kind of going by the wayside um, yeah it's just especially it's especially interesting with the whole esports scene breaking out i mean it, it 
I think it's just that's just kind of the way it's going. Like I haven't seen like a traditional RPG that I got excited for in a long time. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like you know, is it is it just that the market is responding to what people want, or is the market accidentally training people out of enjoying slightly harder games? Because the one thing that you'll find, and it's the only thing about Final Fantasy VII Remake that I'm struggling with, is because the game tells you what to do, there's way less of a sense of achievement, right? And this is this is across the board now for like games uh, that like this type of game um, on the PlayStation Three or PlayStation Four, just the, where things have gone. That like what you've got now is um, so. Here's the thing: there's a there's a map that helps you know where you are in the remake Mm -hmm. that we didn't have in the original and there are green exclamation point prompts to tell you where a certain character is standing or it's telling you where uh one of your side quests like where the next part of it is and i've been playing the game so far with that switched off because Otherwise, I'm not really sure what the point of me playing the game is if the game has already solved all of the problems for me. Because all you're doing then is you you talk to a character, the character says, maybe you should go and solve this problem. And then it tells you where the problem solution is. And so I've been trying to make the game slightly harder for myself because I want to explore. But I'm a little bit worried that it's not giving me... Um, enough reasons to actually talk to all the characters because man you could you could blast through this by just going everywhere the green arrow tells you to go on the the uh the map screen right well i think yeah i mean i think that's kind of the appeal for people who maybe are new to the game i mean like for example like we talked about this before like will said or one comment that will said in the first episode that really stuck with me is he could put, or when we talked about how much time he wanted to put into this, yeah, he seemed totally cool with just putting like twenty hours, finding out the main story and moving on, which is fine, you know, sure, and good for him. But like, and I think also like, I mean, I personally would want to put in like eighty hours or whatever, but I just don't think we're gonna get eighty hours out of this game. Well, like, we, I know but you like, can't, which leads, yeah. So like, fi- like physically you can't, but I think this also leads me to another point, uh, which we haven't talked about is. What are your thoughts on the idea of chapters and having chapters in the game? Well, I, okay, that's actually a good... I hadn't really considered it. So what's interesting about chapters in the game is, again, it still feels... So, look, I'm I'm loving the game. I'm really enjoying it. But I'm becoming increasingly aware of the fact that the game is making my decisions for me. And Mm -hmm. the idea of the chapters, the the way the chapters are structured is it just, it also makes you feel, I'm wondering whether the game, they've made a a very firm decision to cater more to the kind of gamer you are than the gamer I am. The whole thing about chapters is everything is rewarding you for everything. Like it's letting Mm -hmm. you know you've done a good job. It's letting you know that you've completed something. Because I think they're afraid that people will buy this and just stop playing because it's slightly hard. Or that, you know, if you have to look around too hard for clues, then you're just going to stop playing. And that that was why the original game was so great. Now, look, you know, the audience audiences have changed. Most games, if you change the difficulty setting on a game, it just makes the fights harder. But it's not mm-hmm. making the game harder. It just means yeah. that you have to just power through the fights and, and it's less forgiving. But the game doesn't get any more or less complicated. It's still, like, if you if you play God of War on God mode, it's still an easy game to complete. Like, it'll tell you where to go. You're not going to find extra fun things in, like, down any, you know, side alleys in, in a city or whatever. And so mm-hmm. it feels like the adding this concept of chapters feels a little bit like they're desperate to make players feel like they're constantly achieving something because they're terrified that people will stop playing. Like they've think about it this way. So there were three discs in the original game. They have now, they've now split the game into three parts. Yeah. 
I don't know whether they're going to charge you for or if there if there's any charge for the next couple of parts. But man, I'm they assuming seem, it's going to be sixty bucks pop. Yeah, well, it has to be, and if that's the case, they desperately need people to play this game. They need people to finish it, and so in some ways, I think they've like nothing is easy unless there's a bit of struggle, right? And I'm playing the game, I presume it's the same with you, I'm playing the game on normal mode. There is no hard mode. Um, I think that has increased the difficulty of the fights. But that's about it. And it feels like the rest of it is, it's kind of on autopilot. You're just like running from fight to fight to fight because there's nothing to solve. Yeah. There hasn't been a moment I mean, yet where I've gotten lost. So far, there's only been one thing, we, we won't talk about it yet, but there's only been one thing I've come across behind a locked gate and I can't figure out how to unlock the gate. And I keep thinking about it. And I love that I keep thinking about it because that's a problem that needs to be solved. And I don't know where the solution is. And the game, it's the only thing the game hasn't told me. Mm-hmm. So everything else is just like, there's been a few times where you do something, like when you, after the you do the reactor run and you step out into the city, there's you, you walk forward and you see error uh, no I, you see somebody running across some rubble and the camera swings up and shows you the staircase you need to take and then yeah. i walked around and i think it was jesse was, was it yeah yes yeah. sorry that's yeah. exactly who it was and so i walked around and i because i was still trying to figure out whether i still needed to talk to everybody and prompt everybody and at one point i walked past somebody and you, you have to press triangle. It tells you to talk to this person specifically. And the person turns around and goes, hey, maybe you should take the stairs over there. And it's like, all right, guys, come on. Like, I got it. You don't need to show me in a clip scene. That's my big clue, man. Sorry? I needed that clue. I don't know about you. But the thing is, is that... I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. But but the thing is, is that if you were running around, if you had to talk to all, all characters, then you would feel at least a reward that one of them told you that. But you don't need a cutscene to show you and then have a character to tell you because then it's just treating you like an idiot. And that's not satisfying. Yeah, no, I get where you're coming. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem is not, I mean, this, this again, this is a hot take here. But <laughs> uh, I think this uh, genre of gaming is, it's becoming harder and harder to play because one, I think I'm guessing production costs are significantly more. Yeah. Two, I think you need to have a longer attention span. Like I'm going, I know I keep reverting back to first person shooters, but like for Call of Duty, I can hop on Call of Duty, play five games in an hour, and you know, all right, cool, like I'm filled game for the day, and then I left. And versus, you know, hey, I just spent five or two an hour, and I only progressed like one chapter. So I mean, I think they kind of need to force feed your casual gamer. Um, but but or I. Who may- I suppose core to that, because like I completely understand where you're coming from, but I think core to that problem is like every time that you do something that's difficult and then you get past it, then you feel better. Like any kind of struggle, like if there's a part of a game that's really, really hard and then you manage to get past it, it's so unbelievably rewarding. So mm-hmm. if you if you are on a like in a level and you're running around and you can't find how to get out of that level and you've been running around for ages and then you run back and you take a left you didn't see and you find like a ladder or a, a pipe or something that your character can like climb through and it gets you into the next area it's so rewarding and mm-hmm. and so like yes you can play Call of Duty you can jump in and you can jump back out the the kind of satisfaction you get from it is purely momentary like that's what that's the way it's built but when you try and put like momentary satisfaction into this kind of game what you end up with is a very very boring game because the reward that you feel comes from not being able to solve the problem in front of you which i, I the argument that you're making if i understand is that yeah, but I don't really want stuff to be that difficult. Otherwise, it puts me off, and I don't have the time to to solve that. But I mean, the kind of the catch twenty two is without that, the game is actually just a series of fights. I mean, I think that is it. I mean, that's not my personal, but I'm just saying it from the casual new to Final Fantasy gamer. Like for for yeah. example, Will. Yeah. Like Will probably. This is fully just a guess. I don't actually know Will's opinion. Okay, but, but if Will was like we can ask getting him. turned. We can. 
when next time he shows up, yeah. if he's not too big on TV, yet. <laughs> maybe we just call into his TV show. Yeah, yeah, could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our next caller, Bobby. <laughs> well, we got a question. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the, I mean, for someone like Will, who Will seems to be much more, like you said, he's much more into first-person shooters, yeah, uh, fast-paced action games. He probably doesn't want to be dwelled up on like, you know, can I find the right stairwell to get to the right place? And I, I get that. Yeah. I, I can understand that. I mean, like for myself, I might have an hour to two hours in a non-COVID world a day, <laughs> yeah. if that, to play Final Fantasy VII. So like I have to put this hour to like full use or I got to stay up until like two in the morning and wait for my wife to go to bed and play. So... I, I get that for the casual gamer who, and like that's for someone who's super invested in this, for someone who's not super invested. If they aren't getting, it's like a movie. If you aren't getting satisfaction of from the movie within like the first 30 minutes, you're out. But it seems so, so it seems so self-destructive because if that's the case, right. And like, again, I am agreeing with literally everything that you're saying. I suppose the, the problem that I see with that is it's like, then every single film just becomes like a, like a just a crazy action film that's just like you'll never end up with something that's elevates the form at all you know like um you you won't end up watching something where you go oh man i'm so glad i so glad i experienced that because you're just like everything is jurassic world all the time Mm -hmm. and you're like i don't want to watch that film again and again and again because it isn't challenging there's no reward for that it's fine but what's i suppose to bring it back to I suppose why I'm struggling with that when it comes to this game is this is a remake and in the remake there's something fundamental has been taken away from it like in an effort to make the world and and man it's it's amazing and you know we'll get we'll get to some of the other parts of this a little bit later on some other scenes and stuff that are just crazy nostalgic things and set pieces that are absolutely huge um and it just keeps on giving but but weirdly an awful lot of the humanity of running around and doing stuff it isn't there anymore and Mm -hmm. and to me what's happened is if you love this game from playing it before so this is one of the reasons why i'm really excited to talk to will about this because if you've played this game before you're gonna absolutely adore this game the remake because it's everything that you loved, it's just fully rendered and it's stunning. And there's a couple of extra yeah. bits in it. But what's come out of it is the the heart of running around and being a person. Like, this is what why RPGs were so amazing. You were a person in another world. There were full, lo- every single character that runs an inn or a store or whatever, they seem to have fully fleshed out lives behind them. And now what you have is you're running through the streets of a city and the characters just say things. They're just triggered by you. But that's it. It's gone more the way of Grand Theft Auto than an RPG, which to me, I'm struggling with that a little bit. No, I agree with you. And I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and and view it from the other persons. But it seems like we can go back and forth on this for a while. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's actually progress on this role-playing journey okay so we're done with the the reactor run boom goes to dynamite fire everywhere you're running over the bridge you go up the stairs that they make sure that you go up and tell you about six times (laughs) but then then here's the bit here's the fun bit yeah we finally meet sephiroth oh man dude i I like, almost cried. <laughs> oh I was so hyped. Oh my god! So first impressions. Uh, any, or- you know what? It was the first time that I was like, "Look, so far the game is following the exact same structure of the original." Yeah, you have everything is the same. Like even down to the like the interior of the train station when you run in, and even like helping the guys set the bomb on the reactor run, like all of that stuff that Jesse has to do. And, you know, you're standing at the door, all the control panels, like everything was the same. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're running through this. Suddenly you're out in the city. The city looks stunning. And like I said, there were one or two things that I was trying to figure out, you know, uh, how much it was like the original and how much it was in terms of interacting with people on the street. But you run across the bridge that was so easy to miss. 
and you run down you run down an alleyway and man like Sephiroth doesn't turn up in the game I don't think he's even mentioned yeah. in the original for like it's got to be another like 20 hours of storyline forget about you know gameplay well I'm pretty sure it's uh spoilers it's when uh the president of Shinra is killed by Sephiroth oh it's the is, sword yeah you see his sword in there and then you leave Midgard and the first thing you see is a giant lizard or snake with a giant sword in it and everyone's like oh my god Sephiroth can do that oh, and I'm like yo let me oh, fight man. this bitch oh you're giving me goosebumps I'd forgotten all of that yeah so I mean this kind of leads me to I'm guessing this is where you're going but I mean, that's the first big diversion that we saw from the original. It is. It's, it, that's exactly I what mean, I was going to say. But, but if we look at it in terms of the original compared to now, you can't put this game out without Sephiroth. Like, people would fucking riot. If, like, can you imagine this game without Sephiroth? You go through an entire disc and you're like, oh, yeah, Sephiroth. Like, yeah. like people would freak. So oh, I get yeah, they but have okay. to find a... But Devil's Advocate, Bobby, everybody knows he's in it, right? If you haven't played yeah. this, you're in the same position that we were in 15 years ago. So sure. you don't know who he is, or you do. As Will said in the first episode, like, what's a Sephiroth, right? So, <laughs> so It's a big bad guy. <laughs> so look, the, and this is something, I don't know about you, but like, when I'm playing this, what's definitely on my mind a lot is, um, you know, are they, how, how are they doing, how are they structuring this game knowing that they're playing to two completely distinct audiences. They're playing to us and they're playing to Will, right? So when we... No one cares about Will, just play to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but when we played the original, so for anybody listening to this that, that doesn't know, what happens is you see the president of the company that's like the big uh, environmental bad guy in this in this game. You see the president, an evil guy. He's he's dead. His corpse is in like the beautiful Shinra building, and there's a sword that's like a huge katana, like a really, really, really huge one, like straight through his back, driven into the floor. And it's an obs- it's an absurd weapon. It's cool. It's like, super think cool. Buster sword, but like big, but long, like a samurai Buster sword, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then after you finish the first. The first, um, the first disc. When you get outside the city, as Bobby said, you see this enormous. You haven't seen any like demon things beyond what you fight against in the uh, in the city. And it's mostly just Shinra thugs, I think. Yeah, it's mostly it. and, and they're all yeah, yeah. they're just city type bad guys. That's what you get. And then you see this huge dragon thing, and it has. It's the same. It's been killed by this sword, and you're like, oh my god! It's just building and building and building. Who is this character? Who who is it that I'm expected to to have to ultimately probably fight, right? Because it's a weapon. One of the things that's amazing is uh, we see Sephiroth straight away, but I completely forgot how much like that also takes away an awful lot of um, the build of how powerful this character is because you only ever see the aftermath of the crazy stuff that he's done. So I'd forgotten about all that, Bobby. So what's interesting is, yeah, it is different. Like as as someone who's played before, to see Sephiroth so early in the game was amazing, and he's he's so yeah. cool, and he's, he's so well done. Yeah, they definitely did a good job with him. The voice was. I mean, I know we we never heard, or unless you watch Evan Child, Children, excuse me, you never heard Sephiroth's voice, and I think they do an extremely good job of making him extreme. Like you could tell right away, like this guy is not messing around. He's here. He's like he can easily like I get the impression that he could easily just dispose of it if he wants to. Like he's clearly toying with Cloud. Yes, it's very like, and I think they do an extremely good job of that. And I think the, I mean, um, like I still get like I'm gonna have a separate episode with Ricardo Ortiz about this, but Sephiroth to me is like the villain of all villains. Extremely well written, extremely haunting. Like especially in Final Fantasy, I like there's Sephiroth and then there's everybody else. Like so, I am thrilled that he is immediately in this game. And I know they hinted at his music in the opening score uh, or the opening credits. So like I'm 
I'm so happy that we get so much of him in this game, or that at least we're getting teed up to get so much of him in this game. Well, and he's not just a, a mythical figure in the background. But so, okay, so I have two questions for you. So, sure. um, the reason you love him is because of the original game. Mm-hmm. So that's that's different now. Yeah. So so you've been given like a a much earlier representation of of Sephiroth. So they haven't built him at all in this game. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing him now and it's like it's feeding your nostalgia for him, but for new players this is a new thing. He's kind of just introduced. Right. So 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 that's different, right? But but the other thing is um one of the reasons why as you said he was so well written, right? In the original game Sephiroth has a plan. He's that's what's the whole central part of this game. That's what this whole thing is driven by. Sephiroth has a plan and Sephiroth is executing that plan and to hell with everybody else, right? He's doing his own thing. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, if your characters didn't somehow slowly get pulled into the, the, the whirlwind that is Sephiroth's plan, he could really have pulled the whole thing off and nobody would have known, right? Until it was too late. And now the difference is Sephiroth has specifically gone after Cloud and he didn't in the original game. Now, Cloud and Sephiroth share a past and there are some twists and turns and, you know, some ups and downs in that story. But it was very much a case of you were always a couple of steps behind Sephiroth and he was he was doing his own thing. And eventually you get pulled into having to stop him. And one of the cool things about Cloud as well, Bobby, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but one of the things that I always thought was cool about him was he was a, he's a reluctant hero. Like he doesn't want to be involved. He doesn't care. He wants to make money and he wants to stay out of trouble. But he keeps finding himself in more and more trouble. And he his real conscience kind of comes out as the game progresses. Mm-hmm. You realize that he actually has a really big heart, but he's trying to be really kind of, cool and difficult um but, total ladies man yeah uh, big time big time oh, like the kind of kind of characters that we loved when we were younger right but it, it's changed a little yeah. bit now but you know um but sephiroth didn't care about him and sephiroth didn't really didn't really register him and cloud certainly wasn't a threat at any point and now already that's gone that whole storyline they've made a serious decision here like that's over so right now they are setting up Sephiroth as the big bad, but it's very much like he's taunting you in this game. Mm-hmm. He's coming after you and he never did that before. So I thought that was a massive change. So it shows you, and the reason why I bring it up is, well, obviously like it, it's interesting because it's such a crazy divergence from the original game, but but it shows you, it's another really clear example of how, man, this is a remake. They are not, mm-hmm. it is not the same game. And while, yes, a lot of the story beats seem to be landing in the same places and there's an awful lot of familiarity, and that's not just good for people who've played it before. The original story was awesome. So, like, you know, they, they, they've, they're they working with a really solid framework for this, but they're making some pretty big choices. Like, there's some stuff going on that I don't really understand it yet. And so, you know, there's they've done small things that if you really kind of dig down into it, like we're doing now, you can start to see, oh, wow, these are fundamental differences. Like these are big changes. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, don't know how thing, I feel about it yet. I, I mean, I, I'm for it. I mean, if I'm only getting, you know, disc one of the game, I want as much Sephiroth in it. I don't want to have to, I mean, to me, Final Fantasy VII is all, it's a Final Fantasy VII, everything that, is about Final Fantasy VII it, at its store or at its core for me. It's a story about Cloud versus Sephiroth and how the, you know, it's kind of like a David versus Goliath. Like Cloud is David and Sephiroth is Goliath, and how David overcomes Goliath. So to essentially jumpstart that story, and I think giving Sephiroth the ability to be much more manipulative, I guess is the best way of describing it, and much more menacing to Cloud. I'm I'm for it. Yeah. I mean, I if we're not getting a direct remake. I'll take it. I'll take this. Like, yeah, I think that's really interesting because for me, I think you can probably tell for me a lot of this is like, but the original was so perfect. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah. I'm I'm in this really f- interesting situation where I'm like, 
I don't want to play the original again, right? It's a remake. And yet I'm kind of like, but why are they changing it? <laughs> like, uh, But now saying that, like I'm really enjoying it. But what's interesting is I totally hear what you're saying. Like he's, Sephiroth is back and Sephiroth was fucking awesome. So he's awesome again. So of course he yeah. is. So let's get more of him. And you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. And yet part of me is a bit like, but do we only love Sephiroth this much because of how we were introduced to him in the last game? Like, is this a sugar high for you and me? I, I mean, probably for me at least. But like the fact, like, I mean, we all saw, like, full spoilers here. We saw that in the trailer, Sephiroth and the Flames. We all know where that comes from. Like, so I'm assuming there's going to be some kind of callback to these these moments. And I mean, the big story beats whether it's in this game or next game, I don't think they're going to give them up based on what we've seen. And we, you know what? That gives me a good way to transition here. So we so we meet Sephiroth and we meet Aerith, right? Yeah. So I'm pretty, like, I'm 100% certain, and this is full spoilers, everyone. They hint <laughs> do you, do at you really want to do this? Do you want to do this? Yeah. Okay. I want to do this. Okay. So they hint at Aerith's death in the game, right? So like, it's, Point blank, it's there. Like, I know what I saw. Okay, like, so to anybody... Her- so so it's worth pointing out, to anybody who hasn't played the original, one of the single most, like, soul-crushing moments in a lot of our teenage, teenagers, in our childhoods, um, was y- your character basically is falling in love with Aerith for most of the game, and then she dies. Sephiroth kills her. And it's so unexpected. And you've end of disc one. Oh man, biggest heartbreaker ever. Like I, I that's I didn't want to say this in the with Will, but that was the reason I stopped playing the first time as well because I invested so much goddamn time into leveling Aerith up, and then it was just gone. And I but hold on, were you annoyed? So because, hold on, pissed. were you were you annoyed because you lost your your healer? Or were you annoyed because, or were you upset because, like emotionally, Cloud had lost the love of his life? I think it was a combination of both. Like <laughs> 70, 60% uh, upset, 40% annoyance. I was so mad. I, oh man, I was huffing and puffing in my basement. But uh, I mean, so like, my original point is, you know, they're, sorry, they're still like, yeah. So we meet Aerith. They, those Wraith thing, Wraith Dementors, Death Eaters, whatever. Um, they're flying around. There and then you have that scene where you see Eris' death. So I don't think they would. I think with teasing the Sephiroth uh, flame scene, teasing Eris' death in the game, not even a trailer. I, I there, there's got to be an end game that we're not aware of where there's we're still going to get those big iconic moments, and they're not going to give those up for, or they're not going to give them up because I think those kind of iconic moments, like you said, are what made the game so perfect and nostalgic. Yeah. And I think while they're still changing the plot and like making Sephiroth available early and things like that, I don't think they're going to deviate from those big moments that make this game so iconic. Cause think about it. If the Aeris, like 90% of the time when you talk to someone about Final Fantasy seven, it's the Aerith death scene. That's like one of the first things that come up followed by Sephiroth followed by the fact that, Hey, that, sword is fucking huge and amazing <laughs> so it's generally those like those kind of things are what make this game stand the test of time and i think squarings while i think they aren't the best they are not foolish enough to throw those away well look so so, so you texted me so what happens is uh, in the original what game, is I annoy the shit out of Kian by texting him at all hours of the day. Yeah, no, anyway. no, no. This because this because this was interesting because in the original game, uh, Sephiroth uh, completely surprising to you. He stabs Aerith and uh, she uh, she dies. And when she dies, she drops uh, materia, which is one of the the gemstones in the game that you use to power your weapons and stuff. She drops this materia. And basically there's an iconic scene where her hand kind of like hits the ground and it opens and the materia rolls out of her hand and just like bounces down some steps and into a a pool. And so Bobby texted me and he was like, what the fuck? Because in the, in the opening minutes of the, the, after the reactor run, you meet Sephiroth, which as we've just said, is a complete surprise. It's a complete change. 
And there's a couple of these like crazy, like Cloud is having some PTSD acid flashback things where he starts to yeah. just remember stuff. And it's cool. Like this is the first time we start to see that Cloud has a, more of a past. It's a hint at stuff that previous players already know, but like it's really well done. But then there's just this one split second flash where you see a hand hitting the ground and opening and a, ma- a ball of materia dropping out of the hand. And Bobby was like, well, hold on a minute. And you were right, man. But you said everything else is a flashback. Everything that you see is something that hints at Cloud's past. And then they drop that thing in. And that's a that's a premonition. That hasn't happened yet. So why did they do that? Like, that's a weird thing to do because everything else is hinting at something. And so my point was, if you've never played this game before, you don't know what that means. Like you've, mm-hmm. It doesn't have any kind of significance whatsoever. If you have played the game before, that's... That's a that's the kind of thing that makes you text your friend at like 3 a.m. and go, dude, what the fuck? What the, this is bullshit. <laughs> it, it, it's playing it's playing to us because like we've we've already played it, right? So it's just a, it's like this moment where you go, oh shit, that thing, that that moment. So for me, I, w- I, mean, I would normally argue, man, I would normally argue that narratively, that's that's a stupid thing to do. It doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be able to predict things in the future. But they're also not quite playing, like, it's not just an audience of people who are playing this new. Like, they're they're giving us things that make us go, oh, shit, I remember all of this. A lot of people haven't played this in, like, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, like, I think it's a narrative choice. Like, I'm, I'm going to die on that stone or die on that, uh, what's the phrase? The hill. I'm forgetting phrases. <laughs> die on that hill. I'm going to die on that hill. That is definitely a narrative choice, and they are fucking with us so but again i think like but you got to separate your experience from the experience of somebody who hasn't played this before right like so for example if will was here and we said so will what did you think of that that small moment where like that the the ball rolled out of that hand like up to that point will hasn't even been uh, given the chance to equip materia yet has he I think you might have, like, at the very end of the Mako run. So pretty sure you are. So the thing is, it's like that, like, what she drops doesn't even have any significance. So, so like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a weird... Now, arguably, if and when that happens, if Aerith dies later on in the game, because that's also not necessarily... That might not happen. It could be Tifa. They could change this entirely, like. But, um... If Aerith dies, the only thing that will happen is anybody who remembers that singular moment will go, oh, wow, that was so weird or that was so cool. Like, I I remember when Sephiroth showed him that at the start. So Sephiroth has Mm -hmm. always been foreshadowing that he was going to do this. Like, I don't know what kind of changes they're going to make. So it might actually end up being really cool. There could be a bit of payoff. But if there isn't, then, yeah, it's just a stupid thing to do. It doesn't make any sense. They've broken the rules. Of storytelling, yeah. Like if if stop breaking my heart, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> um, but I loved it because it was just one of those. I I was the same as you, man. I like I saw Sephiroth and I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. And then he showed that, and I was like, oh, that bit made me sad. <laughs> but uh, so I don't know how I'm stop gonna feel. <laughs> stop making me sad, man. So stop. <laughs> but um, but anyway, I mean, up to so we meet Sephiroth, we meet Aerith, uh, the. I'm going to just call them, like, um, what are those things in Harry Potter? Dementors. I'm just going to call them Dementors because it's easier. Okay. Uh, the Dementors fly around. They disappear. Aerith runs off. And then you make it to the slums. We made it. We're in the slums. So, But up uh, to that point, I mean, so far, the game is pretty spot on. Oh, it's amazing. Original. Yeah. Like, you know, besides gorgeous. the... This, oh, yeah. It's, it's unreal. Like, how, like... And it's funny now because after the first episode with Will being like, oh, that Buster Short on the back is stupid. And I'm sitting there like, this is the greatest thing yeah. ever. Like, I can just look at the Buster Short all day. Like, look, Will Will's entitled to his opinion, but I think his opinion's wrong. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, for me right now, this feels like a, a remake or um, a remastered. Like, it's pretty much spot on to yeah. the original. It hasn't, I mean, de- like apart said, from Sephiroth, smart. it hasn't deviated at all. Yeah, Sephiroth and Dementor things, uh, it really hasn't. So, 
we make it to the slums and this is where you finally get i guess your first real non-linear experience like i didn't feel like i had to run straight or run backwards yep i could just go where i wanted and um you know just do what i wanted more or less yes so you when i when we kind of outlined what we wanted to cover today we might end up skipping Jesse and Avalanche. You can talk about your girlfriend next time. Um, <laughs> I am in love with her. We, so you were very excited about the slums. I was. Uh, and talking about the slums. Can you elaborate on yeah, that a little bit? Yeah, I can. So um, kind of like what we were talking about earlier about the idea that uh, what I've noticed, and I noticed this in Final Fantasy fifteen, which I really didn't enjoy, was... Um, you would basically, it claims to be a role-playing game. You'd have to go around and you'd, you'd have to talk to people, but you'd get into a new town. And essentially the only thing that you did was you went to the local diner or you went to the local marketplace and you found one guy and he would just tell you that there were five different monsters in the area that you had to kill. And they just repeated that again and again and again. And I was like, wait a minute. At different diners. Oh man, it was so boring. Like it was so repetitive and even in terms of like, look, I, I don't know shit about computer programming or programming games or whatever. Um, it's probably not called either of those things. But like, it just felt like they took the same mechanic and they just took the models of these characters and dressed them differently, but just dropped the same mechanic into different towns. It didn't do anything except for that. And so one of the things I... Oh, sorry. And also when I played, just because I just want to give out about the Spider-Man game just one more time. That game mm. was just, there was a, an extremely linear storyline. And then all you had was collect 50 backpacks or do 50 fights, right? And that was it. Mm-hmm. And yes, web slinging was incredibly good fun. But if you decided, okay, I'm just going to clear all the fights, it was just the same thing again and again and again and again. Like yeah. nothing changed. And so the reason why I, I think I... A part of me just instantly relaxed. You get into the slums and you meet Tifa, right? It's just crazy nostalgia. You're in Seventh Heaven, the bar. Only now the bar is kind of interactive. It's fully rendered. Everything's amazing. I'm not going to probably get over that at any point in any of these episodes anytime soon. But when you go, like they've expanded a little a little bit because uh, they tell Cloud to go and sleep. So you get an apartment and all this kind of stuff. But then Tifa essentially asks you to wait. So you get to wander around the slums and it's the first time that you come across uh, somebody who says, hey, I've got some monsters you can fight. And I was like, oh shit, here we go. Like this is, this is just, oh, here we go. Yeah, I was like, that's just, that's what the game is now going to be. It's going to be bits of storyline. And then, hey, you know, there's, there's a particularly difficult kind of monster or there's an easy monster. Go and fight them and I'll give you weapons or whatever, like, and so there's there's one guy who says, hey, you can go and do this fight. So you do that fight. And and I'll mention, I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. But when you come back then, he doesn't give you any more things to do. You wander around the town and you'll find somebody else who will give you more things to do. Now, my original gripe still holds that, you know, the game will tell you where to find these people. And so you can go and you can just kind of get through the missions as quickly as you want, right? Which is kind of annoying because the whole exploration side of things is is gone, right? But I play this without the maps switched on so that I can try and discover as much of this as I can by myself. But each of the different people that you talk to and the various tasks that you have to do, they were different. Like, man, they have you chasing cats at one point. Yeah. And it's... I fucking hated that mission. I know, and it was it was stupid. But, you know, the thing was... Lots of the original game had a lot of that kind of silliness in it, which is fun because mm-hmm. it it's it's different from, as I said to you, just a series of fights, which is what it could very easily be. And it isn't satisfying. So something as stupid as go and find my cats means that you have to run around the world and try and solve stuff, right? So mm-hmm. broadly speaking, the reason why I love the slums was it put my mind at rest because it was like, Ian, there's going to be more to this game than just fighting storyline fighting storyline so i was uh it made me feel better the second reason why the slums were so cool was because 
Tifa joins your party and for the first time properly now, you have two people in your in your group and you have to go and do these fights, not just because the game is telling you that you should go and fight and you'll get experience points and the kind of standard stuff. It's forcing you to do things where you have to learn the battle mechanics of having two people in a fight. And the fights aren't terribly difficult and they rise in difficulty while you're in the slums. But man, it's so well done. Like they've hidden so much learning in the slums. Mm -hmm. Every single basic in the game essentially is it's in the slums. And you can take your time running around in a fully rendered world. There's enough silly stuff going on. There's enough cats to try and find. You know, there's like there's plenty of stuff to explore that it actually felt like. And and I don't know how you felt about it, but it really felt like, oh, my God, man, if the rest of the game is like this, this is huge. Like, this is yeah, so no, huge. I, I definitely I definitely felt that way. I was super pumped to be let free and just do what I want. You know, I could just go talk to this person. I can go talk to this person. I can go chase this thing. I could just go fight monsters for an hour if I really wanted yep. to. Like it was awesome, and it, I would I've same mindset. You, I'm like if the rest of the game it has if there's another like sequence like this where I can just run around and do what I want, I am going to be pumped. But yeah, I mean, and I I think you really hit the nail on the head. A lot of these games now, like I know Assassin's Creed is notorious for this. Spider Man was notorious for that. Um, a lot of these games are very repetitive in terms of like. Go here, do this, do this. Now go do it somewhere else. So I'm, I agree with you. I'm very happy that Final Fantasy kind of broke the trend here, at least a little bit, and yeah. was able to just be like, here's five separate missions that have nothing to do with each other, and you can choose to do them or you can choose not to do yeah. them. And it was glorious. Yeah, it really was. And so it's funny because having that introduced to it started to make the experience richer and makes the game more enjoyable. And we'll cover this more in the future but there are moments where the the game and look it has to be like this but there are moments when the game railroads you back into the storyline and you know it doesn't really it doesn't give you any chance to explore even in the moments where you know you're under pressure that the the storyline is is forcing you to go somewhere or do something mm-hmm. but but man you need this you need these big open areas to just walk around and get lost you know yeah. and and it's um i don't know it it's something that i'll come back to when we when we do an episode on don corneo's mansion which we'll do soon mm-hmm. it, that's going to be a big thing for i'm going to come back to that a lot just this idea of how much the the game has changed and how much this idea of a game basically telling you where everything is rather than letting you find it is kind of the opposite of what the original game stood for or what it what it was designed to be yeah um no i i i get what you're saying but this 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 whole area felt like oh this is awesome you know it's open and you get to run around and you can go and talk to the guys who own the shops and they'll tell you to get out and then you go and you do a mission and uh, it, for example, I think there's something you do for the guy who owns the item store and then he starts. Yeah, you like go kill like a rat or something. Oh, yeah. So sorry. So this is important as well, because um, there is more of an emphasis in this game than before on the fact that Cloud is uh, he's a mercenary. and He wants Mer- to make money and he wants to have a bit of clout when he goes into a town. He wants people to give him some respect. And what's very cool, what I really enjoyed was, uh, yes, I did prefer when you could interact with characters to find out what they have to say in the original game, like all these side characters in towns and stuff. But every time you mm-hmm. completed something in the slums this time, uh, when you left, after you completed the mission and you walked back out into the streets, all of the people had started talking about you. Did you notice that? Yeah, no, uh they kind of hint at that the more you did like and like i remember they would keep saying like oh look at like they would like is that him or like all that kind of stuff it was really cool it was it it felt yeah it honestly felt like the things that you were doing were were genuinely impacting the world outside 
any closing comments here? Um, what are we going to talk about? Oh, the the do you want to um do you want to tease the bike scene? Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, a uh, little backstory here. Kian and I have a bet going. So the spoilers, as people know, the first disc ends with the iconic uh at the original game of the iconic bike scene where clouds on his motorcycle and he rides out of midgard so there's a bike scene a little bit earlier than anticipated and ken and i have a little bet going on over it so we're going to be talking about that next time for sure yeah okay well why don't we leave it there and then we've got something tantalizing to come back to for the next episode yeah me taking money off you that's (laughs) That's never Um, never gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, i know I have the pleasure, for those who don't know, uh, Michael Walsh. We're going to be talking about the original uh, Final Fantasy story in a little bit. That'll be my next episode that I'm recording. As a writer of comics, he's going to kind of talk about how to craft a story and how to push a narrative over the course of three discs. So that's what I'm working on. That's going to be awesome. Okay, well, listen, go and do that then, and I will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, man. And thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in. (laughs) 